Um, so we are currently in the middle of a three-week Christmas series called The Stocking, the Tree, and the Gift. Last week, Kara kicked off the series with The Stocking, and this week, uh, the message I will be bringing is The Tree. So in preparation for, uh, for this message, I did some research on the history of Christmas trees, and it was actually very interesting, and I spent way too much time on this than I should have, but I kept digging and digging because I wanted something definitive, and so here's what I'll lead with. There's not something definitive. There is, you, you, I, I applaud you. If you can, you're smarter than, than archaeologists and historians and you have more resources available than everyone else in the world if you can find the origin of the Christmas tree because it's just not there. Um, so here's what I found. Um, and this is from history.com. So if you go to history.com, which is History Channel's website, um, you can find this. So quote, I'm just going to read it for you. Germany is credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition as we now know it. In the 16th century, when devout Christians brought decorated trees into their home, some built Christmas pyramids of wood to mimic the tree shape and decorated them with evergreens and candles if it was scarce. It is a widely held belief that Martin Luther, a, a preacher, the 16th century Protestant reformer, added, first added lighted candles to a tree while walking toward his home one winter evening composing a sermon he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amidst evergreens. To recapture the scene for his family, he erected a tree in the main room and wired its branches with lighted candles. Uh, disclaimer, we do not recommend uh, the combination of lighted candles and fresh Christmas trees or lighted candles and anything. I mean, just, you know, the, there you go. Um, in 1846, the popular royals, Queen Victoria and her German Prince Albert were sketched in the illustrated London News. So this is the actual sketch, um, standing with their children around a Christmas tree. Unlike the previous royal family, Victoria was very popular with her subjects, and what was done at court immediately became fashionable, not only in Britain, but with fashion-conscious East Coast American society. The Christmas tree had arrived. 1890s Christmas ornaments were arriving for Germany and Christmas tree popularity was on the rise around the U.S. It was noted that Europeans used small Christmas trees about four foot in height and they would set it on a table while Americans liked their Christmas trees to reach from floor to ceiling. Quote. Of course, we had to make our Christmas trees bigger than folks in Europe. You know why? America. Even there, it was America. We ain't going with no little Christmas tree. You get your little Frenchy Christmas tree out of here. Amen. We're going, we're going foot. Now, I, I think, I think the ceilings were lower back then. I, I really, because when we were in Boston, the, the, I had to duck through some of the ceilings, but it's still bigger than, than the Europeans had. So, America. So some, some say that, that the Christmas tree had pagan roots. And so I really started looking into that. And, and I'm actually really proud to say I didn't find it. That they, there's pagan rituals that involved trees and whatnot. But the Christmas tree as we know it, um, I can't see that it had pagan roots, even though elements you know, may have been pagan. But I will say, this, even if it had started with pagan roots, we have redeemed it. 
The Christmas tree has been redeemed. The Christmas tree does not belong to any pagan religion. What do we decorate our trees with? What goes on top of that tree? For, for, for this tree here, we have a cross. For most, it's a star or it's an angel. Why? To, to, to help tell the story of the star that guided the wise men to the king. The star that served as direction for the lowly shepherds to arrive at the manger to see the Christ child. The angels who declared and praised, born unto you today is a savior. So we have angels on our trees. We have lights representing that Christ is the light of the world. We have candy canes, which is shaped like a shepherd's uh, staff. And its colors are red and white, echoing that the blood of Jesus just made us as white as snow. Tinsel. I didn't know this. I found out that tinsel, that, that it represents grace, limitless, beautiful grace, unlimited So the Christmas tree truly is a symbol of beauty. And it really does provide an incredible opportunity to display ornaments that speak of God's love, that speak of of salvation, and hope through Christ Jesus. And if you get a natural tree, or if you go to Yankee Candle, and you get a pine candle, even the fragrance of the tree declares life and health. I, I, I love the Christmas tree. But when I look at the Christmas tree, there is one symbol that I think of think of above all else. When I look at this, what I think of most is this, the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. When we talk about tree today, we're talking about the cross. And we don't just go to the cross, we go through the cross. We don't stop when we get to the cross. We have to keep going because the work that Jesus completed on the cross of Calvary, he did so so that we could have life and life abundant. Life flowed from the branches of this tree, the salvation tree, in spite of its form. And hanging from its limbs, was the finest and most precious ornament there has ever been. The body of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It was there on that tree that Jesus gave his life for me and that Jesus gave his life for you. As his blood stained the tree with the color of Christmas, the air was filled with the fragrance of eternal life. Many TV shows and many movies, they, they have a, a subplot of finding the perfect Christmas tree. Uh, I think of uh, Charlie Brown, you know, and his totally unperfect little Christmas tree. I think of Clark Griswold of Christmas Vacation and the perfect Christmas tree, the Griswold family Christmas tree. 
Friends, I'm here to tell you that the perfect tree is not hard to find. The cross is the flawless symbol of Christmas, and it is the perfect tree. And in its perfection, it draws the world together in unified purpose. It's the cross of Christ that can bring together every age, every gender, every social status, every economic status, every nationality. The cross unites us in the purpose of reaching a hurting and dying world with love of Jesus. I'll say this as often as I can. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. That's not the purpose of Jesus. That's not the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to make dead people live. Every single one of us know people that are searching. During this season, they're searching for that perfect tree. They're, they're searching for that moment of peace. They're searching for that moment of fulfillment. They're searching for something. So I ask you to join me in pointing people, searching people, to the cross and then through the cross. When they find the cross, they're going to find Jesus. When they find the cross, they're going to find Jesus. Arms open wide, arms extended, arms accepting, arms welcoming. They're going to find eyes that are loving and accepting and drawing. Luke 2, 15 through 16. It tells, uh, I love the book of Luke, Luke for its telling the Christmas story. And I want to read 15 and 16. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Do you want to know how your Christmas tree can help share the gospel message? How a Christmas tree can, can be used as, as a work of proclaiming Jesus? Here's how. Stop making Christmas of the baby Jesus and tell the full story. You see, somehow a sweet, adorable little baby is acceptable to the entire world around us. But a Lord who calls for men and women and young people to obey and follow, somehow that's not acceptable to the world. See, we can talk about the baby all we want, acceptable, but we talk about the risen king who says, obey me, trust me, follow me. That's not acceptable. But we can't have part story without the other. We must never forget that the manger one day became the old rugged cross. We can't just gaze lovingly into the manger and at the child without looking obediently to the cross and to our victorious King. The baby Jesus... The baby Jesus deserves our adoration. And the Lord Jesus, 
He deserves our allegiance. Christmas is all about a tree. But it's not the tree we decorate. Before the foundation of the earth, there was a tree in Jesus' future. You, you, want a, you want a thought that will blow your mind? When Jesus learned to crawl, every, every crawl was headed toward the cross. When he learned to walk, every step was headed to the cross. Everything Jesus, Jesus did was out of obedience to his Father. And it led up to the cross where he would willingly lay down his life. I, I love to point out that his life was not taken from him. He laid it down. And then when he caught death, he rose himself up again. The cross was not a tree of joy. The cross was not a tree of happiness. This was not a tree that anyone would celebrate. In fact, it was cursed for someone to die upon the cross. It was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross. But Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen. And Jesus approached this cross with joy. Hebrews 12, 2, we read this. It says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 2 and read in verse 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels declared, You will find a baby, but make no mistake about it. Although you find a, day, a baby, what is born to you this day is a Savior. You will find a baby in a manger, but you will not care for him. He will care for you. He will save you. So let's think about this. The multitude of angels that showed up the praising, the declaration. They weren't praising a baby because they knew what this meant. The Savior was born. Mankind's Savior was born. They showed up a scene because the Savior was born. They made declaration and praise because the Savior was born. 
during this season, we've got to tell the whole story. It's not just about the baby in the manger. It's the Savior that grew and laid down His life, you and I. Jesus knew when He came to the earth that the cross was His destiny. Angels who praised their words of joy were about the cross and not the cradle. When wise men searched for Jesus, they were searching for the one who would hang on a cross and save mankind. There was no other way for what was broken inside of mankind to be fixed than the cross. There's no way for what's broken inside of you and me to be fixed except for the cross. You can't save yourself and I can't save myself. I I can't generate enough goodwill to truly impact and save someone else's life no matter what I do. Only Christ is the Savior. But we do have a part play and that part is to tell the story. To tell the full story. And so Jesus came. He didn't come as a reigning king. He didn't come to be celebrated. He came to suffer and to die. And that cross was an essential part of everything that God had in mind. Because of what took place in the garden, because of the fall of man, because of sin, there had to be a solution. And God's solution was Jesus. To send His only Son to come to pay the price, to live a perfect life, to die, to be buried and to be in a tomb, and on the third day to come out of that tomb and to live and to continue a work of discipleship, to continue appearing and, and eating and drinking and fellowshipping and, and being real and present. You realize that? After the resurrection of Jesus, part of his mission at that point was to be present. And with us right now, Jesus' mission is to be present with us right now. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. We just forget that. There had to be one who would live perfectly, who would die acceptably, who would rise from the dead victoriously, conquering sin and death, in order for us to have forgiveness, in order for us to have acceptance, in order for us to have presence, to be with him, in order for us to have power for living, and in order for us to have eternal life. Here's what I believe the Lord wants for us. Hey, when we look at every beautiful Christmas tree that we see, whether it's in our home or on TV in Times Square or in a store, wherever it would be, that we would look at that beautiful tree and that we would see the cross. 
would look at that tree and not just think about the baby, but the king. Your tree that you decorate, it can't give anyone life. It can give smiles. It can give little bursts of joy, true. But it can't give life. Only this tree, only the cross is a source of life. And it is the source of life. Christmas is a story about that tree. It is. It's not the story of the manger. It's the story of the cross. And the one who came to hang on that tree to satisfy God's requirements so that we would know life abundant and that we would know life forever.